Hi, everybody. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out, the May 8th, 2020 edition. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Let's get started with a quick take on allegations that Congressman Ken Buck and the state's Republican Central Committee ordered a local party official to submit an inaccurate primary results to the Secretary of State. Patty Calhoun for Westworld, we'll start with you on this one. Um, it, it sounded like, it looked like, that Ken Buck really felt that he had the legal right to do this because they appealed this, or at least tried to appeal it, all the way to the Colorado Supreme Court. That court decided not to hear the case, and it kind of stopped from there. But this feels like it might fester for a little bit for Congressman Ken Buck. What do you think? I think this is going to last longer than the high heels comment of years ago, and I'm happy to report I wasn't involved in this problem. You know, with all these meetings now, they're not behind closed doors. They are on camera. They are taped. This does not sound good for not just a congressman, but the Colorado Republican Party head, who is supposed to be playing fair. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, what do you make of this and, and what Ken Buck was trying to do? And then also the results. I mean, does it go any further from here? I know he's not going to try to appeal it, but it, it feels like a done deal legally, but not a done deal politically. Well, the El Paso County Republican Assembly had a lot of problems because of CCP virus. So Ken Buck tried to give a break to a candidate who got 24 percent instead of the necessary 30 percent. For the Democratic Senate primary, U.S. Senate, the Colorado Supreme Court addressed a similar issue, and they said no matter what the problems caused by CCP virus, a candidate cannot be exempted from the minimum numerical threshold. And in the Republican case, the Denver District Court followed that same rule for the Republican State Senate primary. He tried to give a break to somebody, couldn't do it legally, and that's all it amounts to. Political analyst Eric Sondman, also a columnist with Colorado Politics. Eric, so after the legal stuff is taken care of, now you have a the chair of the Colorado Republican Party who is at odds with other fellow Republicans. This is not Democrat and Republican warfare here. This is Republicans on Republicans. Does it end well uh, for our uh, congressman, Ken Buck? Well, you keep waiting for this party to hit bottom, uh, the, Repu- the Colorado Republican Party, and apparently they haven't hit bottom yet. This thing just reeks, and of all the party chairs over recent memory, uh, you would at least expect Ken Buck to get caught up in this, given that his background is as a prosecutor. He would be, you would think, the most sensitive to this issue. And now there's really not just this problem in El Paso County that David referenced, but there's a separate problem in his home uh, home county of Well County uh, with similar allegations. This is going to continue. It's not going away anytime soon. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor with 5280. Uh, wrap it up for us. Is this going to linger for Ken Buck, or is this the, the news of the week, and then he can probably move on unscathed in a couple weeks? I think it will linger. Um, and it's it's important that it does linger. You know, call me old-fashioned, but I still believe in a vote is a vote. And anything, particularly in an election year, that sort of calls that into question is problematic. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I know that much like the political parties had um, issues sort of getting everything online that would make sense. We've seen that in our own homes. We've seen that in businesses. We've seen that in schools. Um, this is an issue that they have to keep um, their eyes on. Hopefully we don't have to do virtual parties next go around, but right now, if there were any problems in the current mode, they have to fix that. Indeed. Let's get to it. This week, a poll run by Democrat consulting firms Keating Research, Onsite Public Affairs, and Mike Mellinson grabbed headlines showing John Hickenlooper leading Cory Gardner by 18 points. 
The poll did not include Andrew Romanoff. But meanwhile, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled this week against Michelle Ferrigno Warren and her bid to get on the Democratic primary ballot. Patty, we'll start with you again. Um, 18 points. So let's take it with a grain of salt. It comes from Democratic polling firms. But 18 points is a lot of points. Even if you struck eight of those because of perhaps some skewing, that is still a double-digit lead. Uh, if you're John Hickenlooper, are you very happy, or is this too early to be happy about anything? Well, really, what is there to be happy about in the world right now? The fact that polling is even taking place, I can't imagine what it is like to be a pollster because I'm not sure people are being honest or that their position their positions won't change. Every discussion I see online, people are moving to their corners. They are not being civil. I've got to think that no one is going to want the fix to be in. They're getting mad at the government. They're mad at everything. So if I were John Hickenlooper, I would not be resting easy. Speaking of mad, if I were Andrew Romanoff, I'd be mad that I wasn't included in this. All the other Senate candidates who got in before Hickenlooper gave up his presidential race and jumped in and kind of big-footed them out, they've got to be mad too. This is just this crazy, almost forgotten campaign, but we still have six months before we're going to be voting on it. David, I mean, this is going to be a major race. It's, it has very, uh, it's been deemed as one of the biggest races nationwide. The balance of the Senate is uh, probably in the uh, uh, up for grabs. And now this kind of a poll, I got to believe triggers a lot of action. What did you take away from the headlines? Well, it's almost exactly the same as the Biden-Trump margin in that same poll. And so like Jimmy Carter in 1980, Donald Trump may take down a lot of good senators with him. And that, that's too bad. As, as Hickenlooper accurately said, he wouldn't be a good senator. His skills are on the executive side. In contrast, his primary opponent, Anna Romanoff, was a very effective state representative and, in fact, a very effective speaker of the House. Cory Gardner has likewise been an outstanding senator, including in his leadership on Taiwan relations, which has resulted in large donations of personal protective equipment from the people of Taiwan to the people of Colorado. Eric, when you look at this, does this open a door for Andrew Romanoff? Because as you're looking at this, if Hickenlooper can be up by 18 points, I don't know if it's just about Hickenlooper. I think it's like D in this race would be up by this much. Perhaps I'm wrong. Uh, what do you, if Andrew Romanoff calls up you for advice, how do you uh, help him take these results? Well, I think one thing notable about this poll is that Andrew wasn't included in it. Chris Keating, who conducted the poll, is a very reputable, legitimate pollster. He's a Democratic pollster. And this whole team of Chris Keating and Onsite and Mike Melanson are Hickenlooper people. They've done Hickenlooper's campaigns historically. So I think that the fact that uh, Andrew Romanoff was not included in the poll is, is not simply coincidental. Yes, any Democrat is going to be in the driver's seat in this race, whether that Democrat is Andrew Romanoff or John Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper is in a more commanding driver's seat position because he is less attackable, less uh, less ideological, certainly, than Romanoff. I know Cory Gardner would, if he had his way, prefer to run against Romanoff. He's not going to get uh, his wish, I don't think, in that regard. What this really tells me, even if you cut this number in half, instead of 18, make it nine, Colorado is not that idiosyncratic. And if the Democratic candidate is up by that kind of margin in Colorado, they're also likely up in North Carolina, in Arizona, in Maine, in the other targeted Senate races uh, this cycle. 
And I think one thing you're going to see pretty quickly is those senators, the Susan Collins, the Cory Gardners, uh, the Martha McSallies, et cetera, trying desperately to put some distance between themselves and Donald Trump. But it's probably uh, it's probably for not that distance is not to be had. Natasha, we're in an environment where everything is different. As you stated before in the last topic, everything about our lives is different. But especially when it comes to politics, there would be campaign rallies and and people knocking on doors and a whole lot of things going on for everybody involved, the primary campaigns, the main campaigns, everything else. When you see these uh, polling results and knowing that we are in an entirely different uh, environment for the election in 2020, um, I guess who has the upper hand here? Is it John Hickenlooper? Is it Andrew Romanoff? Does Cory Gardner have have a shot here? Does she not worry because it's only May? How do you take this all in? Well, I think coronavirus has the upper hand here. Um, You know, I I don't envy being a campaign manager right now. There's a sense when you start a campaign, you know, when you when you put in in your name and throw it into the ring and say, hey, I want to do this, that the world is a certain way and the world is unlike what any of those candidates, um, the world has just changed dramatically since they put their names into into this this race. But interestingly, their campaign managers and their team are also probably looking at, well, here are policies, here's our issues that we care about, here's how we approach those. There are assumptions related to that, that we would have um, funding to be able to do that, and people would have jobs, that, that our economy was working in a certain way, and none of that is there. So for campaigns to pivot, like everyone else is pivoting, I know pivoting is a big bad word right now that everyone's getting sick of. But campaigns um, have to pivot now, but they're not having to do that just because an event occurred and maybe they have to do some more um, speeches related to that. Every single policy decision that they have had on their um, campaign pages are now having to be rethought. And that's going to be difficult. You know, this this race has been interesting from the beginning. At one point, there were more than a dozen candidates. Now we're getting down to less than a handful. We actually have a set primary ballot. Um, but I think we're just starting to hear um, and we'll hear more from these these individuals about what uh, they think Coloradans care about in the coming months. And I'm eager to hear that because I think like many people, I, I want to know <laughs> what does tomorrow hold? And if they have any insight on that, they're probably going to have an easier time. <laughs> if, if they can tell us what tomorrow holds, I think they would definitely have an upper hand. Uh, Let's get to our next topic. As the state legislature prepares to resume its session this month, the Joint Budget Committee has already been meeting to review potential cuts to the budget. While many of the expected larger contentious decisions have been pushed down the road a week or so, the committee did make some cuts, including to state employee compensation, veteran career services, and recovery funds for the 2013 floods. David, we're going to start with you on this one. The JBC is something, it can make, it make sense that they'd be meeting a little bit early before the session because they do that anyway before the regular session. Um, there seems to be chewing at the edges right now. There's going to be some significant decisions coming down for an entirely democratically held legislature and governor's office. Uh, what do you expect as we move forward from the session? Well, they're, they're waiting, <coughs> excuse me, they're waiting till. May 12, when they uh, when we get more forecasting for the uh, upcoming uh, revenue. You know, in, in retrospect, the state government may have gone way too far in shutting down so much business, and it would have been better to have safety rules for businesses to stay open. So the state budget now has a huge self-inflicted wound. You know, th- that study from Imperial College in London predicting millions of deaths turned out to be a hoax. It used garbage software that's still being concealed from the public. 
This year's budget problem is also much worse because last year's greedy legislature spent a record $32.5 billion, but violated the taxpayers' bill of rights by not putting enough money in the emergency reserve when we could use it and need it right now. Part of the reason for the current budget mess, another reason, was Governor Hickenlooper's previous decision to massively expand Medicaid for childless adults with no requirement that they work, look for work, or participate in job training. Eric, uh, you know, I, I mentioned as my question to David, we have an entirely democratically held state legislature and a Democratic governor. So there isn't going to be any fierce partisan fights over the cuts because the Democrats hold all the levers. But I believe there's going to be a lot of intra-party fighting because some sacred cows are going to have to be sacrificed and a whole lot of them were brought into the barn last year. So how do you think that's going to roll out this year? You're absolutely right, Dominic. It's not some sacred cows are going to be sacrificed. All sacred cows are going to be on the chopping block, uh, if you will. As I pointed out in a recent column, this is Democrats are not born budget cutters. That's not why they ran for office. That's not their reason for being. But that is going to be their lot here. Everything that's been done in these JBC hearings over the past uh, several days, that's just finding some pocket change or change in the couch. Those are small dollars in the big scheme of things. We're talking about having to cut probably north of $3 billion, billion with a B, dollars out of a general fund budget in the ballpark of $13 billion, total state budget of north of $30 billion. But you're talking about cutting well above 10% of this budget. And that is not easy. And everything from K-12 education to higher education to roads, which are already underfunded as we speak, all of that is going to be on the chopping block. Just quickly, lastly, to David's point, I do have to say, to, when you really think about it, it was not state government that imposed these lockdowns that and, and that crippled this economy. It was the virus that did it. And I think we misstate these things if we don't put the credit and the responsibility first and foremost on this virus. Natasha, the JBC has the first whack at a tough job, but it doesn't stop with them. It's going to go to the overall session and go overall to the overall legislature, the House and the Senate. Uh, do you see some pretty bitter fighting coming down the road? Difficult. Perhaps not bitter. I think one of the things that's been striking to me as this news starts coming out, I mean, obviously, right away, we knew there would be impacts on the budget, but the full extent of it, we're, we're only starting to see a picture of what that is. Um, you know, in the last year in particular, as I was traveling around the country, I was struck by how different Denver and Colorado felt. Um, yes, we knew we were booming. Yes, we knew we had a great economy. Um, but you would go other places, and I would, and I would talk to other people, and it was just a very different um, economic environment. And the mood and, and purpose and just sort of the way they thought about their day-to-day -day lives was different. So I bring that up only because we have been in this boom and Coloradans have felt this sort of ability to, well, we can spend on this and we can do that and, and shoot for for big dreams or, or anything in between, or maybe spend on things that others think is frivolous. And now we're out of that, but it might feel harder because we have had so much excess in compared to other states in recent years. And I think that's going to be one of the difficult things because it's resetting the mindset of the state. It's resetting the mind state of the legislature, but it's also resetting the mindset of individual citizens about what we're going to be able to fund in coming months, um, but also years. 
Patty, the JBC is a tough job, but it seems like they're, they're designated to be the first sober-minded people to look at the budget to really be able to do it in a smaller group. Will they be able to get enough done? Is this going to be something where the governor needs to step in? Well, they're going to have to be able to get enough done because otherwise the governor will step in. They have to balance the budget. It is so tricky. I think both Natasha and Eric are absolutely right. We've been so optimistic. People have had their sacred cows. They've been able to send them out to graze to continue the uh, farmland metaphor. We've We've been very, very lucky in Colorado. And now what has happened to the rest of the country has caught up with us and then some, except everyone else is suffering. The problem is people want their government to do more from them now. So here's an, here's a libertarian independent state, but they need help. And we're going to see the budget cutting is going to cut into programs that people really, really need now. We're also going to be seeing the legislature being asked to do some very quick things to help in the with the future. So the liquor laws, for example, that have been loosened for restaurants, so they should they can do to go. There's going to be a move to change that. There's going to be a move to change the tip credit because you've got to save the businesses so they then they can make more money and bring money into the state. As city and counties are letting their stay-at-home orders expire today, 13 of them are requiring residents to wear masks outside their homes. <clears throat> Under the state's safer-at-home order, only essential workers are required to wear masks. While some organizations are questioning how this will affect individual liberties, mask wearing in general has become a larger political and cultural flashpoint. Uh, Eric, I th- you were actually quoted in an article today in the Denver Post about talking about this very thing. Um, what do you think about the fact that we have folks who are arguing with security guards at particular shopping places who, let's say at a normal Costco, hey, I, you know, wear a mask when you come shopping. Well, I, I, you shouldn't be able to tell me what to do. Um, it, it seemed very American and very depressing all at the same time. Uh, Eric, your thoughts? You used the right word, Dominic, flashpoint. And that's what we're living through now is one after another cultural and political and polarized flashpoint. <laughs> this strikes me as an overhyped one. If you look at polling, go back to that Chris Keating on-site poll that we just discussed. Uh, even Republicans in this state, forget Democrats, forget independents, even Republicans in this state, by a margin of well over two to one, are in favor of mask mandates. They're in favor of a slower reopening as opposed to a expedited too soon reopening. That's not to say that, of course, we don't have to reopen, but they're in favor of a cautious approach. So I think a lot of the noise here is coming from, there's some thoughtful people involved, let's be clear about that. But there's also some people who are just looking for a political issue. And this one strikes me as a pretty silly hill to make a stand on and definitely a silly hill to die on. Natasha, do you think it's going to catch on? Is it just a matter of us getting used to this new normal? Well, it certainly took me a few days to get used to wearing a mask and even wearing a mask when I'm out working out. Yes, it was hard and it took a while, but I was able to do it. I mean, I think it's it's amazing how we will find ways to divide ourselves in times of great need. Um, and it seems that this is one of those. And I don't know, I'm sure there's conflict resolution people around who will say, is it about the masks or are you, are you upset about something else? Is something else stressing you out? And, and I think that's maybe something to keep in mind with all of this. I mean, there are many things that we do that are 
are not 100% effective, but keep us safer. And there's reasons to do those things. And that's why I will continue wearing my mask. And I appreciate that other people do that. Um, you know, one of the things I've appreciated as I've gone out in, with a mask on is other people who will wave or say, hey, thanks for wearing your mask. And, you know, let's let's see more of that and less of the divisiveness. Um, I certainly appreciate that people have individual choices and they can make those choices. I'm just going to also applaud the people who are making the choice to wear the masks. Patty, what do you think? Your mom was early in this uh, helping make masks for folks. Are there going to be enough people in Colorado who embrace the idea of wearing them more often? Well, it certainly looks like we've got enough masks now, given the number of people who jumped in, they want to do something and they've been making them. But will people be wearing them? I've been looking at our comments whenever we write a story about masks, which is frequently, and they are so divided. People have made this such an emotional point. It's a political point. It's freedom. It's everything. When, in fact, how hard is it to wear a mask to keep others safe, maybe help yourself because others will be doing it too. But I've been in line at stores. I've been out on the streets with a mask on and people can get very, very bitter. It's also confusing because the rules are different. Boulder County has the toughest rules in the state. In a lot of other places, they're very, very loose. Denver's are kind of in the middle. And right now, starting on May 6th, you really should be wearing a mask unless you are outside way far away from people. David, I'm going to give you credit on this one. You talked about wearing masks way, way in the beginning. Uh, now we're seeing it become a flashpoint. Are, are you surprised? Should people be thinking about the, the logical sense it makes? Yeah, the logical sense is it protects both the wearer and and other people. Uh, go to uh, Complete Colorado or, or my website, davecopel.org, for the the data and the studies showing that masks protect in, in both directions. And you remember all those public health experts who told you in February and March not to wear masks, if everybody had ignored the government and the media's stupid advice back then, then we might not have ended up with a self-induced economic depression and lots of Coloradans denied cancer screening and other medical care uh, for non-CCP diseases. The Denver order is mostly sensible. It doesn't apply outdoors as long as people keep their distance. It is definitely a limitation on liberty, but it's also the single best means to defeat the CCP and restore other liberty. It's too bad that Mayor Hancock in his indoor press conference announcing the mandate didn't even follow his own good idea by wearing a mask. Well, it's time to get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. Patty Cahoon, as always, please start us off. Well, we'll return to Weld County, a frequent uh, disgrace over the last few months with the JBS plant that is now reopened, but did not do all the testing it initially said it would do of everyone who'd worked worked there, did a 14-day cleaning, reopened, but the tests are still being done. Seven people have died so far who worked there. It's time to get that taken care of. David. Your disgrace, the Attorney General Phil Weiser coming in on the wrong side of history. He wants to restore a barbaric old system for student discipline that has already been found illegal in more than 150 court cases. In Weiser's world, innocent students can be expelled without being told specifically what they're accused of, can't see the evidence against them, can't ask the accuser any questions, and can't present evidence of their innocence. Kangaroo courts are wrong, including at universities. Eric, your entry for Disgrace of the Week. So many possibilities this week. Uh, A radio talk show host uh, around town who's also involved in the Polis recall efforts 
I believe her name is Karen Cataline. We've had civil uh, exchanges before, but she is so off base on this one about masks. She labeled masks as tantamount to forcing Jews to wear a yellow star during the Holocaust period. Then she labeled it as tantamount to forcing people to wear burqas. Uh, let's get a little perspective here and let's tone down the rhetoric. Natasha. Well, we know that airlines have a habit of trying to charge people for everything. And this week, Frontier Airlines announced an opportunity to be able to reserve the seat next to you to pay a little extra to have that empty seat. Um, Fortunately, they have decided that is a bad idea after public backlash. And um, I would agree with that. (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, public backlash. Just uh, what different ideas can you come up with a pandemic to ruin your own brand? Ah, Frontier has an idea. Let's go with that one. Uh, Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. Well, for those of you who have been staying at home, haven't been out in Denver, get out this weekend as businesses open up, follow all the rules, and you will be rewarded with free parking and no booting. (laughs) And uh, let's go to David. Wednesday was National Nurses Day. So thank you that day and and every day to all the nurses uh, who work so hard and, and sometimes aren't as appreciated as much as they should be. Eric, you're saying something nice. Uh, Echo David on that one. But uh, this one is for Patty's benefit. Uh, Here we are. It is well into May, and your Colorado Rockies are undefeated. (laughs) Well done, Eric. Well done. Uh, And Natasha. Well, we mentioned small businesses um, already in this round, but I'm going to just uh, take take two on that because they have done an extraordinary job in a very unusual situations. And as they all make decisions about whether they're opening up or not, I know that my inbox has been full of emails from these um, business owners who are trying to make sense of a very confusing time um, to find safe practices for their businesses, um, for the customers and their employees. So kudos to every small business owner out there right now who is keeping the Colorado economy going. Well, speaking of uh, small businesses and keeping the economy going, I want to say something nice about all the folks out there that participated in uh, Giving Tuesday. They had a special Giving Tuesday just this week, and many of you uh, included uh, gifts to uh, PBS 12. And I, first of all, just wanted to thank you personally for doing that. That means a, a great deal. I also want to thank all the Colorado Insider viewers out there and what you said. We have received all of your emails. We appreciate when you enjoy what you see or when you have a beef about what you see and also your patience and how we are figuring out this uh, new environment. Uh, we, we can't bring our fancy HD studio to uh, every home or office. So it has been an interesting adventure. Uh, I greatly appreciate our, our background crew, our director, uh, Steven Zinn, our producer, Kitty Dunn, who make it all possible. But all of you at home who are being patient with us and hanging in there with a little bit, little bit different look, a little bit different sound. Uh, we really appreciate the kind of passion that Colorado Inside Out viewers uh, bring to the table. And it really is, I, I look at the, the springtime and the other reality about uh, this time, whether it's the politics, the election issues, the legislature, all the issues that you have come to uh, know and trust that will be analyzed here in Colorado Inside Out. I feel very fortunate that we can bring this show to you. I know there's a, a lot of folks that are out there that can't do what they usually do, and we can, even in a little different environment, and I consider that a very fortunate situation. I know it's made possible by all of you out there, all of our viewers, all of our members, all the folks that said, yes, this is the kind of programming they want on their public television station, and you've made it possible. So on behalf of everybody at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Kazuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.